Well, this week I had to send them into the repair shop. So I'm without them now, but a couple of years ago I decided that it was time to do something about my hearing loss. As a matter of fact, for several years the staff had been begging me to do something about my hearing loss. It went so far that on my annual review, the then chair of our church (laughs) wrote as a measurable goal with some teeth in it, do something about your hearing loss, get some hearing aids this year. It was a measurable goal on my annual review. So this was the year that I decided I was going to do something about the hearing loss, try to address it, and spend some money on hearing aids to take care of it. This was the year, and I, I did that. But sometimes our best efforts, isn't this true? Sometimes our best efforts at responding to our deficits to our challenges, fall short, don't they? They often fall short for different reasons. Sometimes they just fall short because we forget to apply what we've learned. The other day I was leaving the house and uh, I like to have my family time in the mornings. My wife often works in the evenings and at night and doesn't come home sometimes till seven or uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And so if it's possible, I'll stay home and answer email and read and study a little bit until she gets home and then we have a little cup of coffee and the grandson's upstairs by then. And we have... So I'm getting ready to kiss everybody goodbye to come over here to the office and my grandson looks at me, looks at my head just out of the blue as a two and a half year old will do. And he says, Papa. I said, what's wrong, spider? He says, Papa, where are your listeners? because I'd forgotten to put them on. Sometimes we just forget to apply what we've learned to address our challenges. Sometimes our best efforts fall short because we've mishandled what we've learned. I was in the other day to my hearing aid specialist, my audiologist, and he's checking in my ears and he says, uh-oh, Mr. Greco, we, we have a problem. You, uh, you've, you've got a, a, a globe in your ear. I said, what is that, man? Is that it's from my hearing aids? Yes. I said, well, is it, is it something that's serious? Do you, do you, is it can be treated with medicine or do I have to have surgery? What? Because no, no, you don't understand. You, you have a globe in your ear, a hearing aid globe. That's, uh, see this? I don't think my pointer's working. That's this thing. This is the globe right there. You have a hearing aid globe that's come off of your hearing aid and is stuffed up in your ear. And so, Mr. Greco, the problem is the thing that you intended to help you hear better is actually contributing to your hearing loss. It's like your hearing aid has become an ear plug. It's way up in there. He said, we can't address it with medication. We have to address it with tweezers. And he said, let me check the other ear. And he checks the other ear, he goes, you've got a globe in the left ear too. And then he looks at me and he says, with all due respect, may I ask you a question? When you took your hearing aids off on those days and you saw there were no globes on the end, where did you think they were going, for goodness sake? And so he has to reach in there and it hurts to get those things taken out. And there is stuff in there caked in, you don't wanna hear all the details. Sometimes our best efforts at responding to our challenges, the best of intentions, 
they fall short because we forget what we've learned or because we misappropriate or mishandle what we've learned. My, my hearing aids helped, but any of you who, who wear hearing aids, I know some of you wear that very same style that is right there on the board right now. I know that because well, at least one of my friends from the church shares batteries with me all the time. They're not a perfect solution. They amplify everything, but they help. The best equipment with the best of intentions can often remind us that even though we've got the best equipment and the best of intentions and the best plan to address it, and it's well-funded, the addressing of it, and it's well-thought through, the addressing of the challenge. Like in my hearing aid, sometimes it's obvious that we need to make a few changes in the approach in order to make sure that we can get to where we want to go. This is a preaching series, as Jeff said earlier, a little mini-series within a theme of series called How to Spend a Year. And today, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be answering that question, or at least responding to that theme, talking about what, what are some of the things that are important about the way we spend a year or invest ourselves in a year. But today, the specific response is this. One of the ways we spend a year is we spend a year, and this is obvious, I hope, we spend a year in service to our king. How do you spend a year, Art? Well, one of the ways I know I spend a year, always looking at spending a year, is in service to our king. And even that word spend, we mean it tongue-in-cheek a little bit because it can mean so many different things. But we spend the year in service to our king. So, how does that tie in with my illustration of the hearing aids? Because even though we have the best of intentions and the best of a plan and the best resources, we have the community to help us succeed. To spend a year truly in service to the king and go beyond good intentions of spending a year in service to the king, sometimes some things need to change. Sometimes even what we intended to help us get to where we want to go is like the globe stuck on our ears. And what was meant to help us here actually can contribute if, if forgotten or misappropriated to plugging our ear and hurting our hearing and helping us to go the opposite direction. We need to change some things. And I'm going to address just a couple of things from, for your consideration, this idea of spending a year. How do we do that and go beyond intentions? And here's the first some changes. Many of us need to change the paradigm, the worldview, the stack of assumptions and convictions and beliefs that we put together and piled together to help us make sense of life. And paradigm changes are not easy at all. I, this was the theme for my spiritual director and I just last, last month when we met, paradigm. He said, actually, the idea of a paradigm shift is, is not very helpful because paradigms don't shift. Paradigms don't play well with others. Paradigms eat their young, he said. It's very difficult to grow up with a particular paradigm that helps you make sense of your life and then all of a sudden have a little paradigm shift. They don't shift. They either live or they die. There needs to be a, not a shift in paradigm, but a change in paradigm. And here's the, specif the specific change that I'm talking about. When we're talking about how in the world do we spend a year, and the answer being we spend a year in service to our king, true service to our king, best of intentions. One of the ways we need to change is to change the paradigm in order for that to happen. And 
and make sure that our focus is sound. And we change the paradigm by moving from a paradigm of spending, which is the tongue-in-cheek word we purposely chose for the overarching theme of this miniseries, from a paradigm of spending to one of investing. There's a big difference between spending a year and investing a year. There's a big difference between spending yourself and investing yourself, isn't there, when you really think about it? Because spending is simply the acquisition of goods. It's, it's giving something to get something back, and you're spent. And what you have from spending is whatever you can put in your pocket on that day. Investing is quite different. Investing is the acquisition of a future return. Subtly different. Actually, major difference there between spending and investing. If we're going to spend a year in service to our king, or any year, or any day, or any week, or any moment in service to our king, the paradigm needs to change from one of spending and using up our time to one of investing, the acquisition of a future return. I love this quote by Warren Buffett. He said, someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. Someone planted a tree from which they would never enjoy shade. Investing, the acquisition of a future return. Remember, stay in the context now. How do we spend a year in service to the king? One thing we do is by changing the whole paradigm from spending to investing, planting seedlings now so that somebody down the road will be able to enjoy our return on investment. In the Jewish way of thinking, if I do something today, and my great-great-grandchildren receive the benefit of it, what I did today, this Jewish boy today that made that investment, considers it God keeping his promise and bringing me blessing that won't be experienced for two or three generations. That's the Jewish mindset. And I think it might be good for us as modern-day Christians to adopt or readopt that mindset. Not spending, but Investing, And we're not just talking about uh, dollars. We're talking about all wealth, all resources. I invest my spiritual gifts looking for a future return. I invest my thinking, my education looking for a future return. I make all decisions trying to spend my year in service to the king by asking this question. What positive benefit does this decision today have on tomorrow's church, on tomorrow's Christian history? on tomorrow's investment for the gospel in Marin County and in the world, and in my children, grandchildren, and your children and grandchildren, investing the acquisition of a future return. And the real challenge for that paradigm shift is that every, virtually every message we receive as American followers of Christ competes with it, right? Go for it now. Get the return now. And we devalue waiting. We devalue Saving, if you want to look at financial terms. We, I talked to one of the people in our church who got to retire early, like in his 50s. And he's enjoying life and a great life of ministry and a rich time with his grandchildren. How, how did that happen? You know what his answer was to me? I had fantastic parents who invested wisely and made this richness I'm experiencing possible. The paradigm needs to shift when we think about how to invest or spend for our king, from, in, from spending to investing. The planting of trees is the paradigm we find throughout the Bible, isn't it? For instance, look and li listen for um, 
investment and return on investment language. Delayed and turn on investment language, just in some of these scriptural references. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we have the reference being that God found people, gifted people, invested in them, and then gave them the church so that there could be a future return on the ministry of the church. And listen to this language. He, speaking of God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets. These are people that God equipped and then gave to the church as gifts. Some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And then you have this idea of future return. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So it's not like he gives them today and tomorrow we all attain to the unity. It's this idea of God investing in people and then giving those people as gifts to the church, which he has done forever, ever since there's been the church. And his hope is that there will be a future return. There's an investment in people and then there's an investment of people to the church for the sake of the gospel with the hope that one day the return's going to come. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature person, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Investment language. How in the world do we get beyond the best of intentions to the reality of serving our king when we're asking the question, how do we spend a year? By changing the paradigm from the idea of spending a year to the idea of investing oneself in that year. Even goes so far in scripture as to say, later on in that same book, This isn't just for people who already have their stuff together. This is for people who are currently not living in ways that bless the Lord and want to change. He talks later on uh, in, in, uh, in Ephesians, he or the person who steals must steal no longer. And man, this is a wide net the apostle is casting, inviting people into a life of investment. Steal no longer, but rather labor instead. Earn, earn something, performing with your own hands what is good. Why? So that you will have something to share with someone who's in need. Even the thief is invited into this life of making better decisions that are investments in something that lets you bless somebody else to get a, a return later on. Planting trees is the paradigm we find throughout the Bible. 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the Grace of God, which has been given. You understand that the word grace and the word gift are the same word? This grace, this gift has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So I love what's hidden in this. uh, What's assumed in this is that there's wealth and then there's wealth. There are all sorts of forms of wealth. These guys are financially poor, but they're extremely wealthy. For I testify that according to their ability, and then beyond their ability, they gave their, of their own accord. This is a gift that's being, a financial gift being collected by all the churches to take care of one of the church, churches. Verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Planting, don't just plant the trees, let us plant some trees so that we can have an investment in the future as well. This tree planting, this investment language is all over scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, this is as clear as it gets. Now I say, he who sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. Conversely, the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. How clear does the text need to be? A correlation between what we invest and what we see as a return. My friend Gary Godini, who used to be on staff here and is now pastor at Peninsula Covenant Church down in Redwood City, and I were having lunch together a few months back. He's a friend of all of us, a dear friend. And one of the questions we'll ask each other when we meet is, what are you reading? What do I need to read? What have you read lately that's been helping you as a pastor? And he was recommending some books to me, but we got off on the topic of service to the Lord. We weren't talking about finances, we were talking about discovering gifts and, uh, and how we're spending, spending our lives. Um, and somewhere in that conversation, he said, I, along the way, don't know when, but along the way, I began to realize and to see the investment of my life for Jesus, not so much as a duty, which used to be a great thing, and duty is a good thing. But he said it went beyond duty, and I began to see it as a privilege. And he said, when I began to see serving the interest of my king as a privilege, it was astounding to me that of all the options God had from which to choose, when he wants to get something done, he would look and say, hmm, Godini. Godini, I choose you. And he said, that's not duty. It's my privilege to respond, to invest my year, my life for my king. How might we move toward a future that goes beyond good intentions regarding this king? To one of actually serving him and his agenda. See every year of life not as something you are free to spend, but as something we've been given the privilege to invest. Change the paradigm. Make sure the focus is sound. Finally, this second point. So change the paradigm. Want to move beyond well-intentioned thoughts? Change the paradigm. Move from the idea of spending to the idea of investing, and, the, and even more so the, the sense of privilege that comes with that investment. It's like insider trading deal, except it's legal. Change the paradigm. Second, and finally this, change the approach. Make sure that the strategy will actually work. So remember last week, if you were here, we're talking about um, looking back. How do you look back on a year? And Jeff said, don't. How about maybe if we don't, and instead we look forward. So how do we spend a year? I'm saying that too. Don't. Instead, invest it. But he also talked about the importance of having a plan. And I want to build on that great point. Make sure that the plan or the strategy is actually one that works. Become a bit of a pragmatist. So theologian and pragmatist, they need to walk hand in hand. You don't do theology in a vacuum. You don't live out the biblical principles that we read about in a vacuum. We, we, we live those out in life. And I read something in Scripture, I think it means I need to live like this. And I go live like that, and I think, oh boy, that wasn't quite what Scripture must have had in mind. So what I just experienced, then I take that with me back to the text again, and I look at that, read that again, because I almost got there, but that, 
oh, it must mean this based on what I've just learned. There's a praxis that goes on, see? And then you come and you try it again. Ah, I'm living my theology, not in a vacuum, but as a pragmatic theologian, living things out. Sometimes we get to where we want to go only when we change the approach. Because sometimes even really good approaches, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. Just don't get the job done. You know that when the listener that you bought to serve as a hearing aid works more like an earplug. And there's something stuck in there and it's not where it's supposed to be. How many times did I have my hearing aids on in staff meetings and say, well, you guys speak up because I'm bumping this thing up so loudly. I'm bumping it up so high that it's feeding back in my ears and I still can't hear. And all along we find out you had globes stuck in there. Sometimes the best strategies don't work. And you know that when the thing you mean to adopt so that it helps you with your challenge actually becomes a problem for your challenge. And, and we need to change the approach. And here's what I mean specifically by that. Change the approach from one of well-intentioned inflexibility. Hear that, engineers? I'm serious. Well-intentioned inflexibility. I've got my plan. I've got my presuppositions. I've got my logic laid out. If, then, then. If this, then this. And bam, bam, bam. There's the plan that'll work. Do not deviate from it. Those are good things, by the way. You've got to be a planner. From one of well-intentioned inflexibility to one of what I'll call calculated spontaneity. It's kind of like you take on both of the planning attributes of God. You've got God as a planner, cannot deny that. How do you read Genesis and read about creation? How do you read about Noah and the ark? How do you read any of that and not come away with the conclusion that there's a, an engineer side of God? Here, you plan this, you do this, then we're going to do this, cut it this long, build it like this. On this day he did this, on this day he did this, here's how it all fits together. The whole He's a planner. But you also have this ability to turn on a dime, to adjust very quickly and change the plan. So the plan is not the Bible. It's not the word of God. It's an option from God. And from one of inflexibility to one of calculated spontaneity. This is where the engineer and the poet need to take hands with each other and walk someplace together. If you are one of those rare people in whom resides both engineer and poet, God bless you. But very few of us are like that. We're either, we either tend toward one extreme, the planning, calculated, and we need that, or the other, ah, with a plan, just go with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> just let the Spirit lead you, for goodness sake. As though those who plan more strategically and inflexibly are doing something wrong. They're not. They're just contributing what they contribute. And oftentimes we'll look and say, I never get anything done because you never have a plan. You're always changing, changing, changing. As though those who are trying to sense, they have the artist kind of going on in them. You know, the poets working in them. And I sense this. I feel this. I think the Lord wants this. I thought he wanted that, but now I think he wants this. And tomorrow he might want something else. And that drives the engineers crazy, doesn't it? Come on, admit it. <laughs> but if we're going to move from the best of intentions about serving our king in the coming year to activity that actually serves our king with results 
we might do well to change the way we look at things, to change the agenda and employ both of those. And if we can't find both of them alive in us, then boy, isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ? We hear from each other, the whole body being fitted together with different gifts. And when we hear the Holy Spirit together and we listen to our careful planning people and receive what they offer as a gift and listen to our folks who aren't really constructed that way, but they're designed more to, man, but I sense the Spirit saying this. Why don't we come together and listen to each other and move as a body in some direction that helps us invest, not only as individuals, but as a body of Christ, and then in Marin as the body of Christ. Oh, could that ever happen? Is God that big? To invest in the agenda of the king this year, and in service to the king. Man, God is a planner. Listen to Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord, I know the what? The plans I have for you. You know what plan means in Hebrew? Plans. <laughs> then you have in Luke 14, I don't have a slide for it, but actually the context for this is Jesus is saying, listen, before you follow me, you better count the cost because it's going to cost. But in making that point, which is fair to the context of the whole text, there's this, there's this story he uses and he affirms it. He's not denying it. He's saying, man, when you go build a tower, you don't start building a tower without calculating how much lumber and how many nails you need, right? Because otherwise, you're going to get halfway through the project, not be able to finish. Everybody's going to say, look, that's crazy, because he didn't have a plan. So there's no denying that God is a planner. But if that's the only thing we bring, we're going to maybe miss the mark, because there's also this overwhelming and clear sense that God appreciates the ability to respond, to flex, to change. James chapter 4, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there, and then second step in our plan is to engage in business, and the third step in our plan is to make a profit. You do not even know what your life will be like tomorrow. And that's not a rebuke to the planner that's a rebuke to somebody who only can think through the plan and then assume that they have, they're going to have the privilege to enact that the exact way they thought they were going to be able to enact that. That's an invitation to go ahead and plan, but be flexible, be humble. He said, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. In Acts chapter 16, we actually see that lived out. The uh, missionary endeavor has started. And Paul says, uh, Paul has passed through uh, the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What is that about? They obviously had a plan. Let's go here now, and we'll preach the gospel. This isn't something, they're not going to go preach satanic gospel. They're going to preach a great gospel, the gospel. And the Lord says, mm, no. But we're halfway down the trail. No. Turn right. But the plan called for going straight, to do something good. And there's need there. Not turn right. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Wait, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to do what? To go and share the good news with some people who needed it. Are you dizzy? I'm not dizzy, I just need you to flex. I have a different plan than the plan. You had. And so this idea of strategically planning is blessed by God 
and measured and seen in God. But so is this idea of flexibility. And if we're going to move from good intentions and giving our year, spending our year, investing our year for the king, we need to change the paradigm perhaps. And sometimes some of us are going to need to change the approach from one of inflexibility to one of calculated spontaneity. Got to make sure the strategy will work. I'm going to ask the band if they'll start making their way back up. Because we're going to move now into a time of, of communion, coming to the table together. There are stations here in front, all around the room, and when you're ready, you'll, in a second, when you're invited up, you'll be able to get up out of your seats and come forward and receive these elements. But as you do that, keep in mind this theme for this morning. How, this theme, overall theme, how to spend a year, but the idea of it being, and we spend a year in service to the king. And maybe there needs to be a paradigm change. Maybe it's the year that I actually go beyond good intentions to some activity. Maybe there needs to be a change in the approach. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, put yourself at that table with all of the assumptions you had about how Jesus might pull off what he said he was going to pull off. And realize that two seemingly competing values of Jesus conspired to confuse the apostles. What? Washing my feet. What? What do you mean someone would betray? Is it, what? What's going on here? Because at that table, Jesus announced that he was not about to make, that he was about to make a significant investment. But at first glance, that what Jesus saw as an investment, I think looked like a terrible way to spend a life, a complete waste. But it was a plan that required this plan that Jesus had and the Father had. It was a plan that required a fixed flexibility on the part, on the part of the apostles. He, he, he's asking them to go with what you learn, go with what we talked about, stay with me. But it's not going to happen the way you thought it was going to happen. We're moving in the right direction. But it's going to look very different, and I need you to be able to flow with that. Stay with me but be willing to let go of what you had always assumed would be the way things were going to happen. And as you come to the table, we don't want to take away from the true meaning and the ultimate meaning of the table at all. Jesus invites every one of us to partake in life with him. When you come and receive the bread and the juice, you're saying... I'm in with you, Jesus, even though I don't live it out perfectly. I am in, and I need what these remind me of, what these are, this grace, this mercy, to attach myself to your death and hope for your resurrection. But there can also be a secondary message. When you take that bread and drink that juice, maybe you're affirming that this is a year for you to move beyond hopes, to be a pragmatic theologian. Say, this is about me investing my life in your life because what I taste here today reminds me that you've invested your life in my life. I'm investing. 
And I'm letting you lead even though I have a plan. I'll do the best I can, but I'm going to be yielded to the best you offer when we walk forward together. Maybe that's a message that you can affirm when you receive this morning's bread and juice. Are you stuck in an overly restrictive strategy or in an underperforming spontaneity? Are you stuck spending? And it would be so much more fulfilling to think of the privilege of investing. Come to the table of competing values today. Come to the table in response to Christ's invitation to allow him to serve you with a commitment you're making to serve him. Come to the place where paradigms and plans are gently baptized in the waters of the king's agenda. Come and meet Jesus. As you feel like you're ready as the band plays and we do some more music worship, you come. You have your time with Jesus because on the night that he was betrayed, he took up the loaf and he said, whether you understand it or not, this is my body, which is for you. Whenever you eat of this loaf, remember me. And he said, this is my blood spilled for you. From now on, whenever you partake of this cup, and I want you to partake of it, remember me, experience me, because this is the cup of a new covenant, a new agreement, where sins are washed away. May God give you peace and direction in the experience of his presence as you come forward.